And so he just started to, to dig in, and now he's a multi-multi-millionaire, uh, and he's retired at 38. Right. And I said, what changed for you? He said, I became successful the moment I stopped trying to be famous. Hello and welcome to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Now, I started this podcast as a way to give you access to the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions from people who actually work every day in the music industry on how to move your music career forward. Now, I'm blessed to have helped launch the career of superstar Taylor Swift, and I served as her manager for two years. I currently manage American Idol winner Trent Harmon, consult Scott Borchetta and the Big Machine Label Group, and have been helping thousands of artists around the world navigate the music industry. By the way, contrary to popular belief, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com. Take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help you make sure that you are on the right track. Enjoy the podcast. Helping you navigate the music industry, here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. All right, so uh, I'm excited uh, in this podcast to be able to actually interview uh, someone. I, as I've told you guys before, I use my car as my college. I call it the University of Ford. And I have an Audible su- subscription. And recently, I was turned on to a book called Real Artists Don't Starve. And I loved the title of that book because I hate the term starving artist. It also turns out that Jeff Goins, the gentleman who wrote the book, lives here in the Nashville area like me. So I'm excited to uh, reach out, reached out on Twitter, the power of social media, tracked him down, tagged him. You know, what you've got to do sometimes, people, is you got to understand when someone puts out something, they love to see that people respond to it. So don't forget to tag them. And that's what I did. He reached back out and now we're here talking today. So Jeff, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat and we're going to dive into this starving artist thing once and for all. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Rick. So it was interesting when I when I started listening to the book, I had no idea where you were going to go in the beginning, and you traced back the history of where this term came from. So share with us a little bit about what you discovered in your research and then the ideas you had for even diving deeper with the book. Yeah, so you know, I've lived in Nashville for the past 11 years, and I've always been a creative person. When I was younger, I used to draw cartoons of Garfield. When I was a teenager, I started making my own comic books and then started playing music and actually um, went to college, played in a bunch of different bands and toured for a year professionally after college. And um, I always kind of thought of myself as a creative person, as an artist, uh, but never thought you could make any money doing that because this is something that our culture sort of promotes this idea. Unless you're a rock star, you can't make a good, honest living as a creative so I moved to Nashville. I started working for a nonprofit, and I just meet all of these people who basically say this same thing over and over again, which is that you can't make any money off of art. And then eventually, um, I decided that I wanted to quit my job and become a writer and found a way to do that. And I kept meeting people who said, well, you can't do that. And I said, well, I did do that, and I've been doing that, and I keep doing that. And then I started meeting another group of people whom in the book I call thriving artists. And these people are not super famous, but they're making a good living uh, off of their creative work. 
And so I realized that there are these two different groups of people, and I'm sure you're familiar with them as well, Rick. There are the people who are starving artists, who are very, very talented, very skilled people, uh, but they just um, are not uh, paying attention to the business side of creative work. And then there is this whole other, you know, uh, hidden group of people who I call thriving artists who are business savvy. They understand the marketing. They're also very talented and very skilled, uh, but they're making a living off of their creative work. And I realized that the, the big difference between these two groups of people is mindset. And so I began to just go like, where does this idea of a starving artist come from? And why, if the difference between a starving artist and a thriving artist is not talent, but mindset, where does that come from? And I just started, you know, I love biographies. I love reading. I, I uh, listen to lots of audiobooks in the car as well. And I started learning about the artist Michelangelo. And I realized, I found out that he was the wealthiest artist of the Renaissance. And I thought, well, that's really interesting because not only do you have like one of the greatest artists, or some would argue the greatest artist right. of all time, he was also, of his time, the richest artist. And so here we have an example of somebody who didn't have to sell out uh, and who didn't have to starve. They made their art and made a great living doing it uh, and changed history. And, and so that's kind of how this whole thing started. You know, what's interesting too is that, let me just clear the record, Jeff and I have never met. And the mm. very first chapter and first module in my program is called Mindset. That's cool. And it's interesting when people, when I was having success with Taylor and right after that big Taylor Swift boom happened here in Nashville, all these families were showing up with their daughters in <laughs> cowboy boots and sundresses awesome. thinking that was the magic ticket. That's and hilarious. not once did anyone ever ask me about her work ethic, ask me about yeah. her mindset. It seems yeah. like the starving artist is waiting to be discovered. And the yeah. thriving artist is utilizing the tools that are available. Because I always tell people, I say, you know, if you can make 50, 60 grand a year doing what you love, you're making more than most teachers, a yeah. lot of nurses. You know, it's like before there was this level that you didn't make it unless you were on TV or you didn't make it unless we heard your song on the radio. Well, today everyone's phone is their radio. Mm -hmm. So anyone can get their music on someone's phone. So I think the mindset is definitely where it all starts. And, and I love that you said that. For, for you, what was the, the shift for you? I mean, it's like you, you seem to be able to make it, but you probably had friends in your circle that didn't. What did you mm -hmm. think you saw that they didn't? Yeah, I, that's a great question. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, when I started out, um, and, and, you know, and I'm still fairly new to this, I've been uh, doing what I've been doing as a writer, online entrepreneur, blogger, author. Um, I've been doing this for almost seven years. Okay, making a living um, at it, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I started it seven years ago, and I quit my job uh, almost exactly five years ago. Great. Okay. Yeah, and uh, most of my peers, most of the people who are starting out trying to do what I uh, eventually ended up doing um, are still doing the things that they were doing back then. And I, I don't say that uh, like uh, arrogantly. I it's just it. interesting it. when you, know, you ex experience transformation – and uh, yeah, and I have a handful of friends who made it and a lot who didn't. And so I think the, the story that our culture likes to tell is, well, you got lucky. Right. And one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I thought, did I get lucky? Like, 
because I'm not super famous, but I make a really good living uh, supporting my family. My wife was able to quit her job. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, it, this was life changing stuff sure. for us. Made more money than I ever thought I could make. And I was able to do the kind of work that I never thought I'd be able to do and, and get paid for. It's really, it's really amazing. But all, like the traditional path to, to get there, get famous, uh, you know, never see your family, travel a bunch, like to become an author. These are the things that I thought I had to do just to make it. I didn't do any of those things. And yet I found a path to success. And, and I find more and more with thriving artists, people who are making a living uh, doing their creative work, uh, they are following this kind of road less traveled. And uh, I it really – uh, came crystal clear for me when I met a musician in Nashville. And I won't name his name because he doesn't want me to say who he is. Uh, but he was somebody who was on the radio years ago. And I remember him. I met him. I go, wow, what are you up to now? He goes, well, I'm not doing any of that anymore. Um, he says, I'm doing this. He was still doing music, but he was getting more involved into kind of the business side, the right. stuff that happened behind the scenes. Uh, because he realized, you know, he was making a decent living with a record label, $150,000 a year, great living. Uh, but he realized, wait, I'm selling hundreds of thousands of copies of my records. I'm doing all this. I'm generating millions of dollars in revenue and giving it away to all these other people. Uh, and so he just started to, to dig in, and now he's a multi-multi-millionaire, uh, and he's retired at 38. Right. And I said, what changed for you? He said, I became successful the moment I stopped trying to be famous. Ooh, that is a great line. That's tweetable today, too, by the way. I'll tag yeah. you in it. And I think that's true. I think somebody who's not – my wife worked in the music industry. I have a lot of friends in uh, creative industries. I think somebody who's not in the industry doesn't realize how much – Fame can actually um, compete with success. And, and yes, I think sometimes fame leads to success, but I think our assumption is you have to get famous before you get successful. And today especially, I see creators uh, competing with these two different yeah. things. And I believe that you have to optimize for success or fame, but you cannot optimize for both. Well, and I also think too, as you sit down, you need to reevaluate what success means to you because it's different to everyone. I also think you need to reevaluate what quote unquote fame may mean to you with all these yeah, quote internet right. famous people yeah. that are out there that, you know, it's like when you, what are you getting into it for? A true creative, if they go with what most people say, when I say, what is it you want to do? I want my music to touch as many people as possible is what right. they'll usually say. Uh -huh. Or sure. I, I want my book to influence as many people as possible. Okay, so then every day your job should be how do I get my message in front of as many people as possible? So mm -hmm. if you're sitting back waiting for people to find you on socials and waiting for people to discover you, you are going against exactly what it is that you said in the first place. And with the tools that are available now, it's like you can target people all over the world for free. Mm -hmm. You can go find them. The internet has opened up this world. Brendan Burchard said something. He says, if you have a message that will change people's lives, it's your responsibility to find them. It's not mm -hmm. their responsibility to find you. And yeah. I live true to that. I mean, it was Brendan's book, The Millionaire Messenger, that changed my life. That's when I took my 25 years of knowledge. The premise of the book was make a difference and make a living sharing your knowledge and experience with others. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I got 
I'm in recovery, so I've overcome that battle. I've been sober for many years. I was in radio. I launched the biggest star in the world. I worked for a record company. I've managed artists. I've consulted artists. So I put everything online to go out and help people, and you would have thought that the world would have been lining up. Every dad with a talented daughter would have been beaten down my door (laughs) to find my stuff. That wasn't the case. Why? Because they didn't know that I existed. So I needed to go online, and I needed to get myself out there, and I put a lot of it out there for free. Why? To build credibility. You know, it's like, I love what Gary Vaynerchuk says, you know, in his new book, uh, Crushing It, he said, there's nothing in this book that I haven't said in public. I've just organized it to save you a bunch of time. So spend the 25 bucks and get your time back, you know, but I give everything that I say. I, I think of myself as the same way. And I'm sure in conversations, everything that's in your book, you've said in conversation, with someone, you just organized mm-hmm. it and put it all into one area. What's the next book for you? What do you think's brewing, or what is brewing? Yeah, that's. A, I love that you. First of all, you you talked about mindset, and I think one of the things that I had to get clear on, and you mentioned this, is you have to know what you want. And I think most people actually don't know what they want. They're they have some vague idea of what they think success looks like, but they never crystallize what they want, and therefore never achieve what they set out to do. And so as a result, I mean, you probably know this, I know this, most creative people who don't get clear on their vision are miserable. They're famous, they're successful, they're wealthy, and they still haven't done the thing that they said they wanted to do because they never really figured it out. And so for me, one one of the most interesting experiences is getting everything that I ever thought I wanted and still feeling underwhelmed by it. Wow. And so the past year and a half for me has been realizing I have everything that I need and I'm okay. And anything that happens after this is gravy. And it doesn't mean I've lost my ambition or my sense of drive or competition. It just means that I'm no longer using misery (laughs) to drive me to success. Wow. I I have a friend who's an entrepreneur and he said, uh, same, same kind of journey. He said, I, anytime I achieved a goal, I wouldn't feel good about the goal because I would just move the goal line a little bit further down. Okay. He said, so I never celebrated. I never had joy because I was afraid that if I celebrated for one moment, I would lose that drive. I would lose what makes me who I am. Instead of realizing I'm fine, I'm complete with you know everything that I have, right. and, and I have the freedom to go try things and succeed. I also have the freedom to fail, but it doesn't affect my identity, who I am. And so one of the most liberating experiences that I, I've had in the past couple of years of – um, you know, launching I'm an author of five books, multiple best-selling books, have a uh, seven-figure business, and and still go. I just felt like a failure. I was like, I I I used to work in a nonprofit job. I was raised lower middle class. When I quit my job to become a writer, I made thirty thousand dollars a year. The first year, I made over six figures, uh, and so like I still felt like a failure. I'm like, why do I feel this way? So, what did so, your therapist and you figure out? <laughs> well, I. <laughs> I have a real therapist. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. serious. No, yeah, I'm yeah. pro therapy, man, because a lot of times yeah, yeah, sure. it's the most successful are the ones that beat the crap out of themselves. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting. It's, it, yeah, it's like the, no one is their worst enemy than themselves. Yeah. And it's interesting that, to hear you say that because it's so true for a lot of people, but most people won't admit it. Yeah. So he asked me a question um, 
I had a book called The Art of Work, which is a book about how to find your purpose and calling in life. And uh, it was an instant bestseller, uh, sold 20,000 copies in the first few weeks. And uh, I just felt sort of dead inside because I saw – because in spite of all that success, in spite of that being the, my most successful book and achieving a status that I never thought I would achieve, I was still looking for all the things that didn't happen, that I didn't do right, that I'd failed. And um, and I learned a bunch from that experience. And he said, what would happen if you failed? Like, you know, because I, I, was, I was working on my next book, Real Artists Don't Starve. And I said, this one has to do this. He goes, what if it doesn't? Oh, wow. What if it doesn't – what if your next success doesn't top your previous success? I said, well, but it, it has to. I can't entertain that thought. He said, but it might. Like there's the possibility that this could happen. And I was just in such denial of the uh, reality that at some point something that you don't want to happen in life happens. He said – and then he took it a step further. He goes, what would be true of you if this didn't succeed? And I thought, well, I, you know, I, I would be a failure. And so it was just, you know, it led to this reality that I am not my work, right? My work comes from me. I'm proud of the work that I make. But as a creative person, you know, you look at this album, this, uh, this painting, this book, and if somebody criticizes it, you feel like they're criticizing you. And I've experienced this great freedom in sort of removing myself from the work and going, I'm sorry that you didn't like that, uh, but that's okay. You know, right. like I'm, I'm still okay. And I'm going to make more things. Maybe you'll like some of those or maybe it won't be for you. Anyway, you asked what my next book will be on. Um, that's an idea that I'm, I'm uh, digging into and I haven't fully formulated it yet. Sure. But I'm really fascinated with the idea of success because it's something that's always been important to me, both in a healthy and unhealthy way. Sure. And I keep meeting entrepreneurs, artists, writers, uh, people who do creative work, who are very success-oriented, and more often than not, the key to their success is to stay in their lane, to focus on what only they can do, to do it well, to do it over and over and over again, because eventually a lane becomes a groove, and that's something that you own, that nobody else can compete with. And I'm really interested in that because I meet so many successful people who want to do the next thing, who are still unsatisfied with where they're at. And I'm not talking about settling or becoming complacent, but there's something really powerful in our comparison-driven, hyper-competitive culture to just go, I have everything that I need, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in this lane and do my work and feel good about it because I finally figured out what I wanted and what success looks like. Dude, I got two great tweets from you today, which are <laughs> awesome. It's one of those things, too, that I try to tell the artist. You, the person that you're in competition with yourself every day when you wake up is yourself. Right. To actually do the work, you know? Yeah. It's like um, – I always tell people for myself, I said, I'm like sushi. I'm an acquired taste. I am not for everyone. You know, there's just these things that, that I'm about. I'm about hard work. I'm about hustle. Uh, I'm about, you know, I, I believe when people say, oh, don't work hard, work smart. I don't know anyone who's been successful that didn't work hard. You know, there, it is hard work. You know, you've got to get out there and you've got to bust it. And, and I love that whole idea about the comparison. You know, it's like, who are you in competition with? With the tools that are available today, you're only in competition with your work ethic. That's who you're mm -hmm. in competition with. Are you going to 
roll up your sleeves and do what it's going to take for you to get the job done. And I'm excited for whatever it is that you do. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I, I just, I just feel that as I'm, as I'm listening to more of the book, I just find myself laughing because you just yeah. uncover these things. And it's like, you know, your next book could be called common Frickin' sense. You know, it's like <laughs> life is just common sense. It's like yeah. the, the thought process, or we think it should be right anyway, you know, what would you like to, to share with folks as far as, you know, in, in, in parting, you know, what, what is just some advice that you can give the majority of the people that are listening to me are artists that are just doing everything that they can. They think, when I say doing everything that they can, they think, what advice would you give them being an artist, being a creative, and being someone who pushed past the barriers? Yeah, so uh, I agree with what you said about hard work and smart work. I think that hard work leads to smart work, right? Like you work, you hustle, you work really hard, and you realize all the ways in which you're being inefficient, and you do you get through the 80% to find out the 20% that actually succeeds, and then you just do more of the stuff that works. So it looks like, oh, you just have to work smarter, but you have to work hard to learn how to work smart, right. I think. Uh, I'd like to go back to what we talked about at the very beginning, which is mindset, and um, – one of the cool things about Michelangelo, who was not only the wealthiest artist of the Renaissance, at that time he was the wealthiest artist who ever lived. And so what he did was he set into motion something that became very common that did not exist before him. Before he came along, artists in the early Renaissance and, and then back before then in the Middle Ages uh, were working class people. They didn't create that great of work. They were uh, artisans. They were craftsmen. They were like carpenters. They would create stuff and then they'd go sell it at the marketplace. They would keep a shop. And Michelangelo changed all of that by working with popes and princes and some of the wealthiest people in society. And the reason that he did that was because he grew up listening to a narrative from his family, uh, which was that the Buonarroti family, uh, which was his surname, uh, was a noble family. And they had fallen out of nobility, and it was Michelangelo's job uh, as one of the eldest sons. His older brother became a priest, so he – the responsibility uh, fell on Michelangelo to take care of the family as the as the second eldest son who was going to go into professional work. He decided to become an artist, and his father's like, "Oh no, this means that we're going to be broke." But he thought like a nobleman. He thought like an aristocrat, and because he thought that way, he became an aristocrat. He became the wealthiest artist of his time and made it possible for future generations of artists to become wealthy and set a new norm. Throughout the rest of the Renaissance, artists became members of high-standing society. He created wow. something new. Now, here's the most interesting thing about it, Rick. He was not noble. Centuries later, historians traced his bloodline and realized the Bonarati family did not descend from nobility. It was a myth. It was a story that they told themselves. And the point of Real Artists Don't Starve is I believe that the starving artist is a myth. I said this to a guy in the music industry recently, and he said, oh, you know, you mean that guy who's like playing 100 gigs a year and making 20 grand? Like that's a myth? I said, no. A myth is a story that you tell yourself, and it becomes true once you believe it. Michelangelo and every thriving artist I've ever met tells himself a different story. I don't I don't know Taylor, like you know Taylor, but I, I can see enough of her story to believe that when she came to Nashville, she was telling herself a different story. Not, oh, woe is me, and maybe you know I can do this, but before you become a professional, you have to think like a professional. And so becoming a thriving artist 
it, yes, it's about hard work. Yes, it's about you know uh, getting those big breaks and and making the right connections. But none of that happens if you first don't believe that you have what it takes to turn pro. And amateurs tend to think and act like amateurs, and people tend to treat them like amateurs. Professionals think like uh, professionals and eventually become professionals. So if you think you can't, you won't. And before you expect anybody else to take you seriously, you have to do that first. Dude, I just picked up about five tweets <laughs> with you. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here going to myself going, okay, I just need to get him on my once-a-month coffee schedule. Because <laughs> uh, I could just get my whole Twitter content for the month. Man, I've really, really appreciated this. I love your perspective. I love your no-nonsense and simplistic approach. You know, sometimes it's like when we tell people what it's going to take, we give them these things yeah. that are unobtainable. And everything that you've shared today and we've talked about is very obtainable because it is a mindset. And I appreciate it. The name of the book is Real Artists Don't Starve. Uh, there'll be links in the show notes. Also, uh, in the show notes, we'll make sure that we've got uh, Jeff's socials. He is very active and does uh, respond back if you say nice things about the book, which I would expect him to do. <laughs> also, too, if you'd like to figure out what it is that might be holding you back, go to the website, rickbarker.com. Don't forget to take the quiz, and you'll also see in there an opportunity on how we can work together. You can also download a free copy of my book while you're there. So, Jeff, thanks again. Uh, much appreciated, and we will talk to you guys on the next episode of the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Remember, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com, take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help make sure that you are on the right track. You've been listening to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast with Rick Barker. You can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Barker Music. And remember, you don't drown by falling into the water, you drown by staying there. 